Let's get started. It's 6 o'clock on Sunday night, and you guys are in Sunday night clinics. Welcome to Sunday night clinic. Tonight, we're lucky to have Brent Chemnitz, the winningest Division I pitching coach of all time from Wichita State. He is now the assistant AD of outreach and staff development. Let me tell you a little bit about Brent before we get him on here. He is credited as being the winningest pitching coach in Division I baseball history. He has been to seven College World Series, won a national championship, and has coached 17 big leaguers. The Chemnitz file. He, he was the pitching coach at Wichita State for 38 years, guys. 38 years. He had 21 All-American pitchers. He had nine first-round MLB draft picks. He was a 1989 NCAA World Series champion. He appeared in seven College World Series uh, with his team, the Wichita State Shockers. He had 85 MLB pitchers signed and 17 total big league pitchers. Let me just tell you something about him that he, you know, has been said about him. Relationships are everything to me. At the end of the day, I don't care what you do. It's about people. I know we won it all in 89, and I can remember all the trips to Omaha and the feeling of a packed regionals at X Stadium, but the thing that stays with you forever is relationships. Those are just priceless memories, the people you get to know along the way, and you build these lifelong relationships with. He was inducted into the Kansas Baseball Hall of Fame in 2003, the Perry High School Hall of Fame in 2016, the Wichita State Wichita Sports Hall of Fame in 2017, and just recently he was put into the Wichita State Hall of Fame. He has two daughters, Mackenzie and Madison. He earned his bachelor's degree in physical education from Phillips in 1978 in a master's degree in education with an emphasis in sports administration from Wichita State in the summer of 1980. Guys, can I introduce you to the great, the guru, the mental coach, Brett Chemnitz. Welcome, Brett. Bush, thank you so much for having me on, man. That was a good intro. I wrote that up pretty good for you, and you read it off perfectly. <laughs> Nothing's changed, brother. You're still the best. That was awesome. Uh, thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Let me ask you, the first question I want to ask you is, can you talk to everybody about your career at Wichita State and what made it so special? Well, before we before we get there, I had to laugh when I was telling you about my uh, deficiencies in technology. Thank God Greg Miller, my good friend, is here to pick me up and get me connected. But uh, the number one thing I get when I'm trying to hook up with anything is the GAs or anybody or my daughters will say, wow, I've never seen this happen. But that happens to me every time. So thanks for being patient with me. Uh, going back to 1978, I'm a senior at Phillips University. I'm like everybody else. You know, I want to play professionally and hopefully in the big leagues. It was obvious it wasn't going to happen. So I started looking for places to go to grad school. I wrote Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Arkansas. And my college coach said, hey, if you're really serious about this, I'd write Wichita State. They must be serious. They just hired Gene Stevenson. So they had hired Gene in March of 1977. So to speed up the story, I wrote, I wrote Gene. He, he gave me an amazing response back, very personal. I came up for a visit. He showed me around personally on a, a December 1977 weekend. And this is where I ended up. It was going to be more than an opportunity to, you know, just hit fungos and shag and this and that. He was actually going to give me a true opportunity the break I got was he gave me the pitchers. I got a strong recommendation from, from my pitching coach at Phillips University, Bill Brown, who had coached Gene in some 1960s American Leagues and All-Star games. Uh, and just he had a great reputation in baseball. But uh, Gene gave me the opportunity. So as you said, I've been here 38 years, 35 with Gene. And I, I think it was a great situation with me and Gene. He was the ultimate hitting guy. You know, I was obviously pitching, um, and, and he empowered me. He, I, I think if there's anything that I can tell somebody, if you're a boss, 
I'm not saying I get on guys. Me and Gene had our share of screaming and yelling at each other, but boy, he'd, he'd always say to me, he'd say, hey, I don't want yes men. You tell me not what I want to hear, what I need to hear. And at 21, 22, for whatever reason, I was comfortable doing that. So I continued to grow. There were opportunities along the way to get into professional baseball. Um, there were other college opportunities. But nothing was ever better than what I had here because the program was continuing to grow. So uh, I was here 38 years. I'm in my sixth year in development. So 44 years total. So it's been an unbelievable run, unbelievable ride, and absolutely love doing what I do. Well, you're awful good at what you do. Um, let's talk about, you know, I mean, different pitching coaches reach players different ways. You chose the mental side. Uh, obviously, you're a tremendous pitching coach on the physical side. But I want you to now talk about the Brett Chemnitz keys. Some of the things in your 21 fundamental principles of mental domination on the mound that you feel like, you know, this show's all about kids, players that are that 13 to 18-year-old age that have dreams of playing for a guy like you uh, in the day. So could you please talk about those things? Yes. Um, it all for me starts, yes. Early on, I got the reputation as being a mental guy. Because I think you got to figure out what makes each guy click from a mechanic standpoint, physical standpoint, and from a mental standpoint. And I used to tell people that when we'd recruit them, and I coordinated recruiting for Gene for over 30 years, they would always say, well, what's your philosophy? And I said, well, my philosophy is what's going to make your son work. I don't have a cookie-cutter approach. I'm going to adjust to your son, okay? I prefer the hug you and love you style. But if I need to get on him, I will. You know, I, I got to figure out what button, buttons to push. And sometimes it takes time to figure that. And I said, from a delivery standpoint, same thing. There's three things that are important. You got to be under control. You got to get to a position of balance or power. And you got to throw out in front downhill, finishing online to the plate. I said, I'm going to figure out each one of those things. You know, if you look at a big league game today, everybody doesn't look the same. OK, so you got to figure out each guy and I'm going to figure out what works for your son. OK, that's from a mechanical standpoint and then kind of a philosophy standpoint. I'm going to attack the zone. guy. I got to have pace. Get the ball. Get back up there. When you're taking forever in between pitches, it's tough to get in a rhythm. Your infielders hate you. Your outfielders hate you. The bands hate you. You're probably struggling to get in a rhythm with those strikes. Get up there and throw the ball, but attack the zone. Oh, one, oh, two, one, two. Attack the zone. Next thing, pitching's eliminating mistakes. A pitching's, a pitching is not making two unhittable pitches and then throwing an 0-2 right down the middle. It doesn't matter how, to, how good the other ones were, just eliminating mistakes. You know, obviously, you know, a guy 93 to 97, like a Mike Pelfrey, is going to have a bigger margin of error. But there's guys throwing 84 to 86 that can command their fastball to get people out. So it's all about eliminating mistakes. Just make pitches. OK, and what will happen then is what I call umpire rhythm. Umpires will get in a rhythm with you and they want to call strikes. If you're all over the place and you're up, down, in, out, they're going to miss some pitches. And as a coach, I never, ever got on those guys because it's like, hey, that's on us. But if you're right around the zone and you're pumping strikes, what you're going to see is the zone will expand. You're an inch out, ha, two out, ha, three out, ha. They get in a rhythm with you. OK, but umpire rhythm is what I called it. Next thing is confidence in the end. Every coach in the world, every parent, son, daughter, you got to have confidence. You got to believe in yourself. Every everybody says that. What I did was expanded that into confidence at the end. When you release the ball, you throw it with confidence at the end. It's that loose, free, relaxed. The ball will jump out of your hand. It will have a little bit extra pop or a little hop right at, right at the plate. You know, we had a catcher here in the early 80s, Charlie O'Brien, caught in the big leagues for like 15 years. I still call him the best receiver in big league history. I know that's strong, but I believe it. He caught like 13, 14 Cy Young Award winners. Uh, but one of them he had was Maddox. And Maddox wanted Charlie. And I said, Charlie, what makes Maddox click? He said, we don't make mistakes. And everything's got a little hop right at the end. 
So it's confidence at the end. It's the old, like the ball nose theory. I had a, I had a basketball player that played for us. His name was Paul Miller. Uh, he ended up being Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year in basketball. But baseball pitching was important to him when he came here. So he, you know, he played baseball a year, but it was obvious basketball was going to be a sport. And that was obviously true. But when I moved over in 2016 to development, he called me and he said, hey, man, great run. Can't thank you enough for what you did to me. He said, you know what? Every time I shot free throws, I thought about you. I'm like, that's kind of weird. You know, why? He said, confidence at the end. Every time I'd have that little flip of the wrist right at the end. And, you know, we all know shooters touch in basketball. So he said, I thought of you every every time. So I think that works in multiple sports. And then the last thing I'd say, it's kind of a random thought here. But if you're if you're pounding the zone and say a hitter disputes a pitch, say it's on the outside corner or inside corner and inside corner, say the hitter jumps back and he's throwing a fit. He's telling you he don't see that pitch. Same thing with the pitch away. OK, so go back to it. Same thing, you know, now if it's an inch or two off and the umpire calls it a strike and he's throwing a fifth, you're like, ah, oh, so you see the, is this Rod Carew? You know, is this guy, is he have that amazing of plate discipline? So anyway, those are some key bullet points. There's more. But you know where that all started, my principles? I was speaking in December of 2006 in, in Denver, Colorado. Mark Johnson put on a clinic up there. And Mark's a really good friend. So he invited me to come up and speak. So I gave two speeches, 50 minutes on mental, 50 minutes on mechanical. I always enjoy the mental side because that's fun for me. Uh, not in the mechanicals is good too, but I always had more fun with the mental. When I was finished, you know, you always kind of got a little adrenaline going after you speak. Well, I had a guy come up to me that I didn't know. And he said, man, that was good stuff. He said, do you have a book? Do you have a CD? Of course, CDs in 06 were a big deal. I said, no, I don't. But I've always thought about it. He said, dude, you got to do something like that. That's great stuff. It was Steve Springer, quality at bats. So Springer is the one that got me to do a CD because about a month later, I was doing another speech. And I had a mental, I had a, a guy that put CDs, a professional guy come and put that together. And so that went out in 07 and sold thousands of copies. Uh, but I gotta give I gotta give Steve Springer credit for having me do that. Okay, hey, this is fantastic stuff. And you know, like I've told you before, and everybody that knows that comes on onto this Sunday clinic knows this is about helping kids and their families through the walk and the process. I wanna ask you a few more questions about your keys that I think are really important that if you can touch on them just lightly or as much as you want, uh, I think it would really help um, kids because of the pressures that they are feeling in today's baseball world. Concentration eliminates tension. That's one of why, you know, my bullet points are all big, but that one, that one hits home with me because I don't care what you're doing. If you're giving a speech I don't care if you're coming on to a, a podcast with Butch and you have a nationwide audience or you're going to speak to the Lions Club or the Kiwanis or you're going to play a big opponent. You have some nerves going, some butterflies, which is a good thing. That's a helpful thing. Well, the concentration eliminates tension. I, I came up with that early on, but I kind of coined the phrase when we started hosting regionals at X Stadium in the 90s we hosted our first one in the 90s or 90 and for years we hosted them and we we came out in 91 and 92 96 you know we win regionals in wichita well you have a packed house of 7,000, 8,000 people and you're in the finals against cal or oklahoma state or rice or whoever the case may be and what do you have 8,000 people doing they're going off. They're going, oh, my ha, oh, my ha, oh, my ha. Well, that's euphoric, and that's that gives you adrenaline. But what it can do, you can get caught up in it. You can It can make you nervous. And it's like, oh, man, yeah, I got to get two more outs. Well, that can take you the wrong way. So what you've got to do is if you're locked in and you're worried about one thing, the glove, well, then it's going to work for you. 
it's going to help your focus. It's the same thing with shooting a free throw in overtime. And if you make one, you tie it. If you make two, you win. Okay? Focus. Concentration eliminates tension. And, and most of the stuff I give people doesn't just pertain to baseball. It pertains to life. Like I say, I tell my daughters, you know, they give speeches or they get a big test. You got to lock in. You got to stay focused. So, yes, concentration eliminates tension. All right. Another one that I think is, you know, you, you were, a, a re, I think you said you were a recruiting coordinator for 30 years. Uh, and then when you go to the games, and I know when I used to go to games, presence and body language were huge. Can you talk about when you looked at the guys that you went to look at that you wanted as shockers, talk about the presence, about their presence. I, I'm so big on that. And once again, it's life. It's everything. I want guys looking the part. I want the low lid where they can't see your eyes. I don't want the state fair look where your lids popped up and, you know, you're like seeing every, you see your girlfriend sitting with, you know, who's, you know, standing in line to get popcorn and you, you've taken in the whole park. Get rid of that look. Let's go low lid. You're focused. I, I, I liked it when they couldn't see your eyes. That's why I wipe trauma wear sunglasses. It's more intimidating. But low lid. Focus, present, look the part, okay? And we talked about the other things, pace and all those kind of things. But if you look the part and have presence, the other team feels it. It's like, man, we can't crack this guy, okay? No matter what happens, presence, you look the part. Your team feels it. It makes your team better. I used to have what I called flow meetings every day with the pitchers. It's like anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 just it was different stuff. Maybe it was eliminating the running game. Maybe it was delivery. Maybe it was, you know, different things that are going to make you better. Maybe it's uh, expanding the zone, whatever the case may be. Okay. We'd have something every day and I try to make them fun and entertaining. But one of my big skits that I would go on is presence. Okay. When you walk into the room, there's three things you can do. You can be over the top where it's like, who is this dude? It's just painful. You can be the guy that's just timid and meek. He's scared of his own shadow. And then you can be just right. I used to have my daughters when we were, they were, one's 18 and one's 21 now, but they'll, they'll tell stories about when they were like four and seven years old and we'd come out of Brahms. And I'd say, okay, I want you to walk out and I want you to show me meek over the top and just right. So we'd have fun with we're out there eating our, you know, vanilla or swirl or whatever the case may be. And people are coming out and I'm like, perfect, you know, because I think you got to look the part. And with my pitchers, I used to say, okay, now this Brent Kemets being Brent Kemets, to me, you got to have fun with people. So I say, all right, we're getting ready to break for Christmas. I want every one of you guys, when you go home, drive over to the, you know, one of the affluent neighborhoods. And it, somebody, you'll, you'll be a lot of cars out in front of some house. So, you know, they're having a party. I want you to walk in there and you don't know anybody. And I want you to have the presence where nobody's going to ask because you look so comfortable. It's like, sorry, I'm late. Got tied up. Go in, make yourself a sandwich. Say, I've got to run, but I'll be right back. It's kind of the wedding crashers deal. Now, obviously, I'm kidding. And I'd always say, don't even think about doing that. But you should have the confidence to do that. It's present. And one presence. And the other thing is, when you meet somebody, firm handshake, look them in the eyes and remember their name. So presence. That's beautiful. You know, we used to play wiffle ball in our age. Uh, can you talk about this little league mentality? Yes, little league mentality. Once again, that's one that I have fun with. And... All right, say you're six, seven, eight years old, and you're going to play with your buddies. In my, in my day, it was the old vacant lot. Um, and and the older guys will know what an anthill or an ant den is. The, the younger guys have no idea what I'm talking about. But the old ant den or anthill, you had a built-in mound. It's like, oh, we got a mound. Look at this anthill, okay? And you take ground balls, and maybe it's an alley, maybe it's a lot. And one, you know, you take a bad hop and it pops you in the mouth. 
You're not worried about it. You know, you're not saying, hey, that was a bad hop. You don't know what that is because you've never seen a good hop. Okay. So you just know you're having fun and you know where to play in the outfield because there's grass that's worn out from the kids from before. So you know where to play. You don't have to get a scouting report. But the one I have the most fun with, and Steve Holmes from Illinois State, I listened to him a few weeks ago and he, he had such a great message. But he texted me when I sent this out on Twitter. He said, dude, if you're losing those rookie cards, man, that's not very smart. But remember when you were a little kid and you'd put your little bubblegum cards in your spokes with clothespins? You'd drive down, you got your, your glove on the handlebars, and you got your, you know, Willie Mays rookie card, Nolan Run rookie card in your spokes. You don't know that you're losing tens of thousands of dollars at the time. You just know you got some new bubblegum cards. So if you can keep the little league mentality, the love for the game that you had when you were 8, 10, 12 years old, that's a beautiful thing. Isn't it just? Okay, I, I, I don't mean to be hitting on these, but I think they're really important uh, for these young players to hear. And, you know, hear from somebody that's had unbelievable success. Can you talk about relaxed intensity? Yeah, it kind of it, it kind of ties in with concentration, eliminates tension, but relaxed intensity or the other term I use is trained focus. You know, we all talk about hey, focus, concentrate, you know, pay attention, that kind of thing. But it can't be a special teams kind of focus or or concentration because then it takes you the wrong way. You know, a special teams guy, we all know he's like his hair's on fire when he's running down the field and he's gonna you know tackle the guy that's returning the punt or the kickoff or whatever the case may be and it's a special team's mentality you can't have that on the mound um, I've used this story and I used this in my CD we had a kid named Mark Bluma one of three brothers and Jeff was on our national championship team Jamie was a hit went on to pitch in the big leagues for the Royals and Mark was the one that was actually a two-time All-American and, and he was a ninth inning guy normally, and it was money. If, if it was ninth inning, he'd get those three outs, normally strikeouts, in about three minutes. He'd get the ball, throw it, get the ball, throw it, get the ball, throw it. But occasionally, you would have to put him in like seventh or eighth inning. Well, he wasn't going to go over there and just sit and relax. He was going to wear you out the whole time you were hitting. I remember thinking, I wish we'd get our outs made because I want to get Bluma back out there. Hey, man, does my stuff look good? How's my sliders look like I'm throwing hard? How about my hitting my spots? It was just nervous energy. So I'll, in my own head, I was like, hey, I'll talk to this guy as long as he needs to, as long as he goes back out and gives us that in the ninth. But so I, I, I call that special teams. But if you go out there and it's a relaxed intensity and you got to have the same thing as a basketball player, you can't just run down the court out of control or as a football player or whatever the case may be. So, yes, breathing. Learn to have a breathing pattern but a relaxed intensity. Okay, let me ask you this one. I, I really – kids are dealing with it every day. Adversity. How, how The guys at Wichita State, what did you do that helped them get through adversity? Well, I think – any coach, any parent, you get to adversity, um, first of all, by letting them know it's normal. We're all going to have it. It's, it's not like, you know, you're going to walk out every day and go, oh, look, there's a $20 bill. That's cool. Oh, you know, you're not going to walk out of a quick trip and say, look, out, there's a gold coin over there. Awesome. So you're not going to have everyday like that. Obviously, that's what we want. But there's going to be days when things don't go your way. For whatever, whatever reason, especially in sports, and I know it's a cliche and we all use it, but what I'd tell my guys every time is I'd say the only thing I can promise you is there will be days and things don't go your way. Bad hop, ball jam a guy, it falls in, whatever the case may be. It's not going to be if it happens, it's going to happen. How you deal with it's going to be the key. So first of all, let them know that's normal. And then I think it's the way you present things, you know. And then you talked about me with relationships. I'm a huge relationships guy. But you've got to know what makes each guy click. So first of all, let them know it's normal. And then, you know, when you're, you have a teaching moment, it's all how you present it, okay? I would always say, okay, 
say there was a negative. Say you had a game where things just didn't go your way, okay? And maybe you were slow to the plate. You were like a one-four to the plate instead of a one-three or less. Or maybe you couldn't throw your breaking ball for a strike or whatever the case. You got it. You can't just say, hey, forget about it. You got to say, okay, what's wrong with your your breaking ball is way too slow. Well, I need to get fastball arm speed. I need to get it more on the front, you know, to the plate. And, okay, we're going to load and go. We're, you're hanging it up there too long. And don't don't just say it did, like it didn't happen. Okay, what are we going to do to fix it? Let's work on that today. And then work on positives. But, man, I've never seen – you were spotting your fastball. You were great to your teammates. You had a great – overall, you, you helped us win the game. So I think when you're dealing with adversity and getting people through adversity, it's an everyday deal. There are no shortcuts to success. It's an everyday deal. And with me, with me not having a cookie cutter approach, you'd come out to the game and it may look like, okay, chemist doesn't have them all lined up at the same time doing drills in unison. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing because I was a big figure out each guy. And that's also from an adversity thing. Some guys, you know, you don't say anything to. Just say, hey, let's get them today. Some guys want to sit in your office and talk for 30 minutes. Well, you got to be there for that guy. Okay. But once again, let them know it's normal. And then just let them know, hey, I'm right here with you. Okay. I love this. I want to just do one more with you and then we'll get on to some other things. Uh, But this silent resolve and humble confidence. Yeah, I mean, my deal is act like you've done that before. I'll just put it out here, and I'm sure some people listen or do not agree with me. I hate the whole bat flip thing. I just, I just do. I'm an old school pitcher, and and the flip side of that is I don't want a pitcher striking you out and shooting you down and telling you to sit down either. I it just act like you've done it. Uh, the the football example I use. And surely you still remember this guy. He's a Wichita guy, Barry Sanders. He was a phenomenal running back in the NFL. He, he scored touchdowns like crazy. He'd run over, find the, find the referee, hand him the ball, and just ran back to the, to the huddle or the, the sideline. Okay? Well, when you've hit a home run, get around the bases. Okay? They, the, the, the exception would be, and you're going to say, okay, you're a homer because it's a Wichita State guy. When Joe Carter hit the walk-off in 93 for Toronto, yes, bounce around the base and you just won a World Series game, okay? But as a whole, let's act like we've done that before. Let's let's have class, and I call it silent resolve. Uh, you know, have class in whatever you do. D- don't win a game and then just, you know, be hugging every guy on the other team. And then if you lose, just giving them little flips, little, you, you don't want to deal with them. Be the same guy every time, but, but act like you've done it before. And we can all point to guys that are so humble and, you know, date myself a little bit. Uh, but John Wooden was my guy. When I, basketball was a sport I loved in the sixties, just like baseball and football too. But you know, the UCLA years, I studied John Wooden. I did, I did so many book reports on John Wooden that, it, that it's insane because he was that guy. So much class, same guy, but he, he won with class. So just be humble, silent result. Okay, so let me ask you this. Uh, just about you, I mean, unbelievable passion. What, what were your keys to success and there, we have a lot of coaches on here that come and listen. Uh, how do you, how did you keep your passion for 38 years? Simple players, players. And I, and I was great. I, I had a great boss in Gene Stevenson. I have a great boss right now. And Darren Boatwright, the athletic director and Alex Johnson, head of development. And if, if you have a great boss, somebody that makes it fun, it helps. And in Alaska, and you'll remember these years, Butch, I was, I was, I was in Anchorage, 84, 5, 6, and 7, and I was with Steve McFarland. And, and to this day, Steve McFarland may be one of the very best baseball people that I know, and just such a – you want to win for the guy, and you want to go to the park because 
he, he just gets it and, and uh, still great friends with Steve today. But you go to the ballpark if it's a fun environment. And obviously, you know, when you once you win six or seven in a row, you can't wait to get there. If you've lost a few in a row, it's a little bit more of a grind. But if you're around good people and you're working for good people, people that empower you, you can't wait to get to the park because it's a little kid's game. And I give these speeches to the athletic department every few months, not just coaches, but to the administrators. And my deal is we're on a college campus. We're, we're going out and playing basketball or baseball or tennis, and we're getting paid for this. For me, I've been on a college campus. You take my four years in college and 44 years. I've been on a college campus 48 years. And by the way, I tell my daughters who are that age, I say, don't act like I don't get it. I know your age better than anybody, okay? But when you're around college people, they energize you. I make a point every couple of weeks to take the interns and the marketing and development to Sloppy Joe's special at the pump house in Wichita. And it's not for them. It's for me. You know, everybody says, oh, that's so nice. I'm like, hey, it's for me. Because when you're 21, 22, 23, it's all ahead of you. You're excited. You can't wait to come in. You aren't getting paid anything. You, you know, you got five to an apartment and ramen noodles is, you know, your best meal you eat. And you got all the specials down, but you're, you're loving life. Bitterness hasn't kicked in. And when I say the players, man, once again, I was blessed. I always told the pitchers, I said, you guys are all better than I ever was. So if you're struggling, I get it. I think I can help you get out of that because I get it. You're all better than me. But I couldn't wait to go to the bullpen, hang out. And, you know, me, I, I, every day I wanted to have fun with them. Uh, you got to be serious, and they all want to get better. But you got to have fun with them. And catchers were my guys, I always said, and all position guys for that matter. But the catchers were my boys. But you cannot, and, and people need to lock in on this. I don't care what level you're coaching at. You can't fool players. Players know the real deal. They know if you know the game, and if you don't, at least say, hey, I, I, I need to learn more on that. Okay. Um, I always used to joke and say I'd be a great hitting coach. Well, that's not true, but everybody would have known it. I used to just have fun with it. But players, you don't fool. I don't care what age, but what you, what they will feed off of is your energy. And one last thing, people remember how you treat them. You bring up, I could bring up any name from any people's past, and I bring up a name. Like you say, Steve McFarlane, I get a smile on my face. Okay, because he was great to coach with. You bring up Mike Batesel, okay, head coach at Fresno State. I, I coached him in 84. Brings a smile to my face. Mark Gardner, another Fresno State guy, big leaguer for the Giants and was bullpen coach. Smile to my face. Fun to be around. And I can go on and on. Russell Springer, Ben McDonald, had him in 1987. I think that's the year you were at Matt Sue. And those guys went on to have long big league careers. But every day they get there early and they're playing wiffle ball with the bat boys. They just love the game. So what gives you your passion is feed off of your players, but you've got to feed it to them first. Don't make it a painful experience where they hate coming to the yard every day. This is awesome stuff. <laughs> awesome. Can you, can you talk about your, the stuff that I read about you and I know about you <laughs> You write these handwritten notes to guys on anything that you can find. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, and, and, and I'm glad you hit that because I kind of put some bullet points here on things that I wanted to hit. Um, about three years ago, I started doing these little uh, video messages. Andy Dirks, you may remember him. He was an All-American here. He played in the big leagues for the Tigers for four or five years but hurt his back. So he had, he had, you know, in his career prematurely, well, he got into real estate, but he started this uh, podcast called Get Your Game Right. So he calls me. He used to sit in on the pitching meetings, didn't even have to. Okay. He said, oh, man, you energize me. Can you, is it okay if, if I sit in? I go, of course you can sit in. Come on, dude. So anyway, he started this podcast called Get Your Game Right. And he said, you're my mental guy, man, on pitching. We're going to make millions where well, that hadn't happened. Pretty sure it's not going to either. But uh, that was three years ago. He said, here's what you need to do. 
get your phone, put it up in front of you. And if you think of a thought, just video it. Do a little selfie. It can be 30 seconds. It can be four minutes, whatever. Well, I started having a blast with that, okay? And some of them were baseball. Some of them were my twisted sixth sense of humor, you know, my, my zest for life. Well, I sent it out one at a time to people. So I'd be sitting around. I'd send them like to 100 people. So everybody's like, get on Twitter. Those are beautiful, okay? So then I get on Twitter like three years ago, and I'm the last guy. I used to get all over my friends that were on Twitter. I go, dude, what's wrong with you, Twitter? Are you serious? 15 years ago, I was saying the same thing about text. But anyway, so I started doing those, and then I kind of flipped over to the notes. I'm a big handwritten note guy. Uh, when my daughters, one was in the fifth grade and one was in the eighth grade, I'd put in their little lunch kit every day some handwritten note. It may be, you know, win the day or, you know, uh, positive energy or give your teacher an apple today, whatever. But I, I, I think sometimes we take ourselves way too serious. We need to, we need to have fun. Yes, there's going to be adversity, but like I said, it's how you deal with it. But you got to have fun. You got to, you got to enjoy yourself. And one of my big deals forever has been enjoy the journey. But to get back with what you said, handwritten notes are absolutely priceless. Some people will say, well, that's old school. Well, if you get a handwritten note, my, I bet you still have it. If you, if you got a thank you or even a text, probably threw it away or deleted it. But if you get a handwritten note, I still have them pinned up in my office. So those are personal. Those are real. Absolutely. Let's, I want to switch over here to talking about players a little bit. And, uh, you know, the kids that listen, the parents that listen, they're always trying to find what's right for their kid to do and, you know, how they should look when people come and see them. Can you talk about the things that were important to you when you went and saw a guy as the recruiting coordinator? Absolutely. Um, a lot of times as, as, you know, a coach, or as a scout, and i got to give props to my good friend right here, Greg Miller, who's sitting here with me. He was on our national championship coaching staff in 89. He's a uh, cross-checker for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, so he's going to ballparks every day, been a, been a longtime friend. And as a college coach, you don't have as many days in the spring, but you're virtually out there every day in the summer. So on a day like a Monday, like Mondays were usually our day off as a coach, I would just bounce around to all the ballparks if I didn't have somebody to go see and just see as many people as I could. Games would usually start at four and they'd go on to 11, 12 o'clock at night. So I'd go to six or seven ballparks and I always tried to go incognito so people wouldn't know who I was uh, because I wanted to see how people went about their business when they didn't think anybody was there. Okay, if you know the Royals are coming to see you or Wichita State's coming to see you, you're probably going to amp up your game a little bit and they're going to see your A game. But if they don't know, you know, that anybody's there, you're going to see the true them. You know, a lot of times you look at the old time scouts and they just they have that hat down there and they're down the line and they don't look the part. I never and it's not that I wasn't proud of Wichita State. I never wore anything Wichita State when I'd go recruit. Because I wanted to fly under the radar to get the true, true, you know, zest for the game. Okay. What you see is the people that are there early, getting everybody excited, can't wait to play. You also see the guys that drag out of their car last minute on their phone, you know, kind of the coach having to kind of prod them to get out there. And I'd give this spill every time I'd talk to my our camps or in speeches, I'd give people this spill. Let everybody see your A game. Be the guy that's pumping everybody up. Let's go. Let's get out. We got a game today. That was Andy Dirks. You know, we go play some Valley Road Trips. Maybe we went on a Friday, went on a Saturday, and everybody's kind of dragging to get the sweep on a Sunday, and people are ready to get back home. He'd come on the bus, and he'd go, let's go. We got an opportunity to play baseball today. I can't believe it. You think you don't love that guy as a coach? Are you kidding me? That's why Dirks was my boy. Uh, but anyway, same thing. I don't care if you're 8, 10, 15, you know, whatever the case may be, be that guy. We all love talent. I mean, I always say, yeah, Mike Pelfrey, Darren Dreifert. I mean, Dreifert, when he left here as a second pick, 
in 93. He was 95 to 99 with crazy life, pinpoint control, unhittable slider, great makeup. Yeah, I want that guy. You know, you look back at that guy, say, that's how I teach pitching right there. That was really smart when Dreyfus was on the mound. Same thing with uh, uh, Pelfrey and Looper. I mean, these are all first-round guys. Yeah, you love those guys, but you also want to see the guy that's a winner. What I what I did later in my career, you know, when I'm 22, 23, I'd see a guy and I, I can get him right. Well, my joke with scouts now is I was a lot smarter at 23. I had all the answers. I had all the answers, you know, at 23, 24, 25. I, I was telling a scout today at the park. I said, I don't I know a lot less now than I did when I was 24. Now, as I got older and you get a little wiser, you got you to gotta be able to look at the mistakes you made and say, oh, I can't believe I didn't like that guy. And we all have them. Everybody wants to talk about the guys that got right. But look at the guys that go about their business right. I was a big arm projection guy, and that's just kind of subjective. Um, and obviously people like velocity, but I was more command how you go about your business. And I was also, especially late in my career, history. You know, he was a quarterback on a state championship football team. He, he was a point guard on the basketball team and, and hit, the, hit the buzzer beater. Uh, he'd thrown 43 innings, given up 37 hits, walked seven, and punched out 42. You win with those kind of guys. Okay, I get it. It doesn't necessarily translate when the game speeds up. But I wanted winners, and you get that by getting there early, watching the game, and then also talk to coaches. I get it. A lot of people, are you're gonna, they're going to kind of, you know, mislead you a little bit. That's kind of a harsh term. Uh, but it's their reputation, too. If they mislead you two or three times, you quit asking them. So if you're a parent, not necessarily a parent, but a coach or a summer coach, shoot the, shoot the people straight because it's your reputation on the line as well. Okay, so let's, let, let's, let's talk about education. You have a master's degree. How does education correlate with the way a, a player ends up performing? Well, that's the number one thing forever. Once again, I'll give Gene Stevenson uh, credit. I think we had more academic All-Americans than anybody through the years. I mean, we had the great teams. You know, you mentioned seven trips to Omaha National Championship. Uh, so, and those are fun. I don't want to downplay that at all. But in the recruiting process, and Eric Wedge, uh, does exactly the same thing now. He, he has Lauren Hibbs back as the director of operations, longtime successful coach at Charlotte, uh, Mike Sirianni and Pelfrey, amazing coaching staff. Uh, but that's the number one thing they preach. When you come in that office, it's like, all right, first things first, we want you to either get a degree or get in a position to get a degree. Okay. That's everything to us. So that's the insurance policy. You know, you can talk about, hey, when people come in and, you know, you mentioned, oh, I've had 21 All-Americans, all those big leaguers. I'd say, look, what's your dream? And most of them said, well, I want to play professionally. I said, no, you don't. You want to play in the big leagues. They go, oh, okay, true. So you, you throw out your numbers and they were better than, you know, virtually everybody. You say, well, our proof is in the pudding. And we think we have the best chance of figuring out how far you can go. And good for you. That's a great passion. But that's a long shot. I don't care how good you are. Even if you make it to the big leagues, it's probably not going to be a, a situation where you can financially live happily ever after. And take a guy like a Dreyford or a Pelfrey who could have financially. Both came back and got their degrees. That's huge. That's everything. So parents like hearing that, but it's got to be real. Okay. So let them know schoolwork first. You're here to get a degree. Yes. We're going to be passionate about baseball and we can get you as good as, or if not better than anybody. Uh, but you got to understand why you're here. And the whole grade thing, you know, if people aren't doing well in school and you're checking on them and if, if, if advisors or counselors or principals or even coaches, if they're shooting you straight, say he's lazy. He underachieves. Well, that's probably going to translate to the to the football field, court, baseball field, whatever. 
So I cannot stress to everybody out there that that's number one because that's a true insurance policy. Okay, let's talk about being prepared. Your your starters went to the hill to finish games. What type of things did you do with your guys that kept them locked in physically and mentally? Well, you you look at the the statistics, and you may be banking this on. We still hold the uh, NCAA record for complete games, which was nineteen eighty two. Was forty six, which will never be touched. Jim Schwanke is a good friend. Willie pitched here and still works in the same office I did. It's just phenomenal baseball family. Jim was like, is that a misprint? Is that real? Uh, well, in those days, we had three All-Americans. Don Heichel, who's still the NCAA winningest pitcher, pitching the big leagues. Brian Elker, first rounder, pitching the big leagues. Eric Somberg, first rounder. Um, and those guys would go out. And it was like a fist fight. And that's obviously a little bit of an exaggeration to take the ball from them. They were going to finish. And, and, when, and when you're looking at that kind of rotation, you want them to throw. But the other thing, and you have to admit, back in those days, we were playing a lot of seven-inning doubleheaders. So that obviously helped. But they were quality, quality pitchers. But I think to answer your question, uh, there's a big pitch count thing now. It seems like guys go six, seven innings at all levels, and that's about max. Uh, I was – I was always a guy, and, and Gene was the same way. Take care of your guys. I know I know Wedge feels the same way, and Pelfrey does. Take care of your guys, but you just got to eliminate wasted pitches. I mean, it used to drive me crazy when, a, you know, you get two quick outs and walk the next guy on four pitches. Well, that's, you just lost focus. You lost concentration, and you lost four pitches. I had a guy that was pitching at Oral Roberts oh, about 10 years ago left-hander in, in like a third-round draft. He was like 92, 94. And, he, and he, the first inning, he walked like four. I, I think he only ended up giving a run-up, but he, he threw like 45, 50 pitches in the first inning. Well, then after four or five innings, you know, he's cruising now, but he's thrown 95 pitches like early in the year. We hook him, and he's mad at me. I go, hey, wait, stop. You're mad at me? Well, he knew, okay, you've gone down the wrong path, okay? Your, your teaching point there is if you want to last in games, if you want to complete games, or you want to get to the sixth, seventh, eighth inning, or, hey, if you want to go five to get the win, okay, you better not waste pitches. Or, or the other one is miss bad. You know, when guys would miss by two or three feet, and they'd look at me, I said, I got nothing. You're going to have to get closer than that before I can help you. Well, what it is, they just spaced off because we're dealing with talented kids. Okay. So the, to answer your question, you got to pound the zone, stay locked in and eliminate pointless wasted pitches. Okay. So now you, as we talked about before the, the, the extreme use of analytics, you know, how did you use, how did you use metrics to help players or was it something you grew into and later used as a coaching tool? Well, you know, a lot of people that know me know that I'm a keep it simple term they use is old school, and I love that. I'm fine with that. Um, when they use that term, they say, oh, I'm sure Kim has hated analytics. Actually, I did not. I think it's a valuable tool. And if you'll talk to, you know, some of the guys that are older, been around the game forever, they'll tell you the same thing. They'll say, no, that's some valuable information. I think when you get in trouble is when you lean on it so much that you get off of the old school scout or the, and some people, some people love that term. Some don't. I say that in a loving manner. Uh, when you get off field, I'm going to go see the guy. Okay. I don't want to look at all these star charts and all this paperwork that doesn't tell me what I need to know. I want to know how the guy competes. I want to know. And once again, I'm a, I'm a big guy. I'm playing all the sports. When we'd sign guys, you know, a lot of tight guys say, well, I guess I can't play football now. I go, no, you're playing football, and I'm going to come watch you play because you're going to get better playing multiple sports. So we were that guy. Same thing with analytics. I think it's a valuable tool. I'm not that guy that just thinks, oh, it's nonsense. But I will lean towards feel, go to watch guys play. Same thing with the radar gun. I think too many people lean on the radar gun. Um and it drives me crazy. And then I, I enjoy on Twitter, 
I laugh because now you got the sped up game. A, a guy's 95. Well, 10 years ago on the jugs gun, that would have been 90. And the years in the, in the 80s or 70s had been the old ray gun. You'd have been like five miles an hour less than that. I remember some old time scouts, Bob Oldest and Gary Hughes and some of those guys coming up, Orrin Freeman coming up to Alaska in the 80s. And they'd bring in those old ray guns. Well, you want to get depressed on your velocity? See what you're throwing on a ray gun, okay? And that's that was their gun. So it was all relative. Uh, and I don't want to downplay velocity. What I always say about velocity is it can give you a bigger margin of error. But anymore, you look at the hitters, they're going to turn around a fastball. Uh, I don't care how hard it is. It's all about, you know, command number one, Movement two, velocity three. But I don't now play velocity, but I think it's a crutch for too many guys. They'll look at it and say, well, he's 6'4", 225, and he throws 93 to 97. And then that gets you excited, okay? And then you ask for a stat sheet, and he's thrown 17 innings, and he's walked 29. Well, there's some nerve ending problems there that probably may or may not get fixed. So I, I – I don't want to downplay, you know, that, but at the same time, I'm all about feel and the term I use is just the old time. Go see games. Okay. So let me ask you this, you know, um, lifting weights has become the game's a physical game. These guys are monsters. They're all strong, whether they're five foot four or six foot seven, you know, guys like you had Pelfrey looper, Drumright, Dryford, how much how much did time did you guys spend in the weight room compared to the players nowadays? Well, I, I think it evolved. You know, 70s and you know, that's when I played, everybody's scared to death of weights. It's like, you know, hey, you're gonna bulk up, don't lift weights. And then you move on into the eighties and it was it was starting to evolve. It was becoming a bigger deal. Um so as time went on, I think it was more and more. Uh, and now we have phenomenal strength coach Garrett Bailiff, uh, Wichita State. And it's more the whole body. You know, you, you add strength and in some cases weight uh, and those kind of things. But you do it the right way. You keep the flexibility, which can help you avoid injury. You, you maintain the speed. And you're seeing that, you know, you watch the NCAA basketball tournament. You see some of those guys that are just bulked up, which isn't just a no-brainer great thing unless they've maintained their touch and their flexibility and those things. Uh, so I've believed in them more as time has gone on, but Wichita State has a has a phenomenal guy in Garrett Bailiff. Uh, but the thing that I was always big on that kind of coupled, kind of matched up well with that, I was big on long catch. You know, a lot of guys play, you know, to build up their arm strength. Uh, they'd say, okay, how, how do we improve our velocity? Well, I was a big on play catch the proper way. Mechanics are important and expand into long catch. And Alan Yeager's a great friend. I think he has a lot of good stuff on that. But making sure the ball comes out of your hand right, playing long catch, extending in the long, you know, as far as they'd say, well, how far? Well, it's as long as you can without, you know, messing up your mechanics. You can still keep your mechanics and then expand it out, and then listen to your arm. Everybody say, well, how long? Listen to your arm. But uh, I think as, as even a position player or a catcher, I think you can really uh, improve your arm strength and velocity uh, by long catch. We had a catcher on our 1989 national championship team, a backup guy to wedge, who was our, our catcher, a kid named Mike Wentworth. He walked on here in 1985-86, and had it was an embarrassing arm, even by his own admission. He was just a great kid. We kept him around. He played long catch every single day because he he was sitting in our pitching meetings. Time he left here, the guy could throw. Okay, so it's not just pitchers that can do that. Uh, position guys as well as catchers can really benefit from that. What um, when you when you used to watch players. Because uh, this is stuff you have to talk about. You want to talk about the negative and the positive at times. I want to know what would, were things that would turn you off when you went and saw players? Just negative energy. I mean, I use that term all the time. I actually at Wichita State will have this awards uh, banquet 
in early May for the athletes. And I give away the Brent Kenmet's Positive Energy Award. I bounce around to all the sports, and somebody's going to win a, a Brent Kenmet's Positive Energy Award. And I, I love doing that. So the thing that, that drove me crazy, and once again, it's all sports. Learn how to act. <laughs> once again, that translates into real life. You know, treat people with respect. It's the old golden rule thing. You earn respect by the way you carry yourself. But, but selfish guys, and it's easy to pick them out. You know, they're not locked in. If they're 0 for 4, they're not really locked in. Kind of pouty. Uh, my deal is be a good teammate. I would tell my daughters forever. And they played all the sports, you know, growing up. I'd go to soccer, tennis, uh, you know, basketball. They did it all. I said, I don't want to walk in late and see what kind of game you think you're having by your body language. If you're mopey and this and that, I know that you don't think you're having a good game. Don't be that person. Even on the days when things aren't going your way, be a good teammate. So the thing that would turn me off for sure is a lack of hustle, not getting on and off the field, or just just painful negative body language. What's a winning person, Brent? Excuse me? What is a winning person? Wow, I love that question. To me, a winning person is obviously you're successful yourself, but are you making everybody else around you better? Do you energize the people around you? Are you the guy that, that you know, I have no problem, you know, being the telling stories and this and that. It's just kind of in my DNA. I'm comfortable with it. Some people aren't. And you don't have to be the guy that, you know, wins the room or controls the room. Or I hope uh, I hope I'm not that loud guy. It's like, God, Kenneth needs to shut up. And I'm sure I am sometimes. But uh, you can be a very quiet confidence, a very reserved person that's just easy to be around. We have a guy in our office. His name's Paul Solentrop. He he writes for communications. He used to write for the Wichita Eagle. I always say, hey, Paul, you're my voice of reason. When I get wound up, he always calms me down. But he's just the same guy every day. And he's just so calm. It's just such an easy demeanor that you can be that guy. Lauren Hibbs was that guy for me when I was coaching with him. You know, he had just a very calming effect. Uh, so to me, a winning person is, yes, you want them to be successful, but are you making everybody around you better? Okay, before I ask you uh, the last question I'm going to ask you, I want to just tell you how much I appreciate you coming on here. Spend It's been an hour already, um, and that just went by so dang fast. And I love – I just – I wanted people to hear your energy. Just the, the guys that are on this call that know you, they already know this, but – I wanted more people on the West Coast just to know who you were and who you are. What, before I ask you the last, my last question I want to ask you, is there anything that you wanted to touch on that you felt like would be important for parents or kids to hear before I ask you this last question? Yes, absolutely. You know, everybody wants to get recruited, okay? Uh, when you're playing the game, you should play for the love of the game. And some people aren't going to play in, in college. That was both my daughters. I said, hey, have a good experience. That's great. Just just have fun. Okay. Well, a lot of the people that are listening or that are, you know, have had some success want to play at the next level. Well, I always say, don't, don't be hung up. You got to play D1 or it's not a successful experience. I played at an NAI school in Enid, Oklahoma, and absolutely loved it. Okay, and it was a great experience for me. So you got to find your fit, whether it's JUCO or Division Two, Division Three, NAI, Division One, whatever. Find your fit. Maybe it's signing at a high school, but but find your fit. Okay, and people say, well, how do you do that? The number one thing I tell people is go to their camps. Well, no, the number one thing I say is take care of business in school. If it's a coach you want to play for, that's going to be their first question. Okay. But go to their camps. That guarantees they see you. You're going to be around them. You're going to see if that's the kind of people that energize you. They're going to see if you're their kind of person. And it guarantees that, that you're seen. And most of them are very inexpensive. Uh, so I, I say that, number one. And then, you know, don't get too caught up in the social media. That can be such a, a drain. Um 
you gotta you gotta ignore that. That's something I didn't have to deal with, but it's become kind of a big deal now. Uh, but try to try to isolate yourself from that. Handwritten notes. I've already talked about that. If you go to a camp and you had a good experience, maybe even if you didn't write that school and say, hey, I really enjoyed that. Here's what I picked up. I'm going to put it to use. That will be a difference maker in some cases. Okay. And then when you make your decision about what school you're going to and say you put it on Twitter, don't act like, okay, that's good enough. All the schools are going to see it. The schools that recruited you and spent some time calling. At the very least, write them. But if you call them and say, listen, here's the decision I've made. It was tough. And thank you so much. I, 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 you know, in recruiting for 38 years, but as coordinator for over 30, you're going to get those. I never, ever went off on anybody. Okay. I say, well, good for you. Congratulations. And occasionally I'd say, is there any reason? Uh, but if people handle it the right way, um, that's very much appreciated. And I'm great friends with a lot of guys that, uh, you know, went to other schools. A guy that I never really got to know, but this is fresh in my mind. Brandon Whedon was a kid out of Edmond, Oklahoma, that went on to play professional baseball. And he was a quarterback at Oklahoma State. And we recruited him, thought we had a great chance to get him. And he didn't come here. But he handled it the right way. He called. Well, I was a fan of his, you know, in pro ball. And then when he was a quarterback at Oklahoma State, I was always a Brandon Whedon fan. And our guys that were covering Oklahoma State said, hey, Brandon Whedon said to say hello. And he's like a Heisman candidate. And I'm like, I'm feeling large right now. But just the other day, he's with one of our former players. And they're out hunting or something. And take a picture and send it to me. Those things are priceless. So you can keep relationships alive if you just handle the recruiting process the right way. Okay. Unbelievable. Thank you. Let me ask you the last question I'll ask you for tonight and we'll wrap it up. And you know, who's following you next week is your man, Steve Springer quality at bats. Oh, give him love. I always do. (laughs) He's the guy that got me going. He's the guy that, uh, he pumped me up so much. I couldn't sleep that night. Now, it didn't cost me a night of sleep because I was so fired up that I got up to like six, which I never do, and drove back. And the next month, I had a guy put one together. So he was my motivation. Well, he, he, he does that to a lot of people. He can absolutely motivate. My last question for you tonight is this. If you could give parents – some advice on the do's and the don'ts. Can you please help them so they'll have a positive effect on their son getting to the next level? Yeah, I mean, some of the things we've talked about, just make sure and, you know, push the school thing, get them to get them seen by going to camps. Um, but the best thing you can do is be there for them. You know, one of, one of the early Twitter videos I put out was – a parent crushing their 10-year-old kid on the way home from a little league game, you know, just wearing him out all the way home. Well, that kid, I guarantee you, he's by 10 or 11, he's over it. I'm not saying don't discipline him and be firm and say, hey, we can't leave that guy stranded at third with less than two outs. You got to pound the zone. But there's ways to handle it, and there's timing. And it's not on the way home after a game. You got to pick your spots. And like I say, when I put that out, some of my old, old coaching buddies were like, dude, what, are you soft now? I go, no, not at all. That ain't happening, but there's timing. You know, with, at Wichita State, with pitchers, very seldom, if they had a bad game, did I say anything to them. Sometimes I couldn't, I couldn't help it, but that was more on me. I wouldn't say a word to them, okay? And if I did get on them, I would always bring them in the next day and say, okay, was I too hard on you? When 38 years, I never had anybody say, yeah, what was that? They all said, no, I deserved it. So picking your spots. And as a parent, don't be that parent that's crushing the coach. My my line now that I'm off the field and I'm up in the All-American Club and the skyboxes and, you know, people up there are real smart. I always say, hey, I'm a lot smarter up here than I was in the dugout. So if you're the parent that – you know, be supportive of your son, 
daughter. And if they have an issue, they need to go see the coach and talk to him in a respectful way. Don't be the guy that's jumping, uh, you know, jumping over the kid and going to the coach. You know, when these coaches and, and most of the people that are playing are junior high level, high school level, and these coaches don't get paid much and they do it because they have passion. Okay. So don't be that person that's just constantly second guessing them, constantly crushing them. There's ways to handle it. Okay. And the number one thing is be there for your kids. And, you know, if, if they have a problem, they need to man up or, or, or whatever the case may be, or a young lady and go see the coach. I'd always tell my girls, you know, if they, if they start saying it about the coach, I'd stop and go, no, 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 we, we're not going there. Okay. If, if you're, you know, have concerns, go talk to them. Well, that usually ended it, but uh, just be supportive. Just help them to enjoy the journey. Coach, can't tell you how much I thank you for coming on here tonight and sharing who you are and the wealth of uh, information and knowledge that you have. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for inviting me and thank you, Butch.